Welcome to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and this week's Grand Rounds comes to us from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. The topic of special focus is multidrug-resistant tuberculosis, tackling a new face of an old foe. Let's take you to the auditorium floor now. Hello, I'm John Iskander. Welcome to CDC Public Health Grand Rounds on the topic of multidrug-resistant tuberculosis. We'll now have some introductory remarks from the CDC director, Dr. Tom Frieden. Having personally overseen the treatment of several thousand patients with multidrug-resistant tuberculosis, and having begun my career at CDC documenting the rise of drug resistance, this is a topic of particular interest to me. Patterns of tuberculosis in society often mirror the structures of that society, and patterns of drug resistance reflect the adequacy of tuberculosis treatment and the overall effectiveness of a country's public health system. The single most important concept to understand about drug-resistant tuberculosis is that no program, no matter how many resources they have can treat drug-resistant tuberculosis faster than a poorly functioning program can create and spread drug-resistant TB. Therefore, the top priority must be prevention. Preventing the creation of new cases and preventing the spread of drug resistance, particularly in hospitals, correctional facilities, and other congregate settings. Prompt and effective treatment of patients with drug-resistant tuberculosis is also key in order to save their lives and stop them from spreading drug-resistant strains to others. All too often, tuberculosis spreads within healthcare facilities. This is a risk to both patients and healthcare workers. Now is a critical time in the fight against drug-resistant tuberculosis. We have better ways to more quickly diagnose patients. In the future, we hope to have shorter regimens and better case management strategies. But we cannot forget core tuberculosis control principles and practices. The best way to prevent MDR-TB is still to cure drug-susceptible TB and prevent transmission. Effective strategies include infection control in healthcare settings and ensuring that patients adhere to treatment through directly observed therapy. We also need to encourage the use of rapid diagnostics and prompt treatment of people with drug-resistant tuberculosis. Finally, we need to invest in research and development for new drugs, new diagnostics, and ultimately a vaccine. Increasingly resistant strains of this disease put everyone at risk, and we must work with the global community to address this threat. Our goal at CDC is to support both our domestic and our global partners in the fight against tuberculosis. In the U.S., we encourage medical providers to remain vigilant and aware of opportunities for prevention and of the signs and symptoms of tuberculosis. On the global front, we can help governments implement and scale up evidence-based programs and help them develop effective surveillance systems. We can also help them strengthen infection control practices improve case management, and build effective laboratory networks. Today's Public Health Grand Rounds discusses how patients can benefit from advances in diagnostic and treatment options for drug-resistant tuberculosis and explores the role that CDC, WHO, and other partners play in combating this epidemic. Thank you for your interest and for your work. It's now my great pleasure to introduce a special guest speaker here with us today, Dr. Dalene von Delft. 
here with us from South Africa. The only other thing I'd like to say by way of introduction is that the story she will tell you is better than anything I could say about her, so I will we'll yield the floor to her. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for this opportunity and for your time. So my name is Deline von Delft. I'm a medical doctor from Cape Town, South Africa. Um, in the year 2010, that was my fourth year practicing as a doctor in South Africa, I was unfortunately diagnosed with primary multidrug-resistant tuberculosis. This came as quite a shock because I've previously been a healthy person. I've never been ill in my life. I have no comorbid diseases, and I don't drink and smoke. But I saw a lot of drug-resistant TB patients. I never really think, thought that um, I would see my name on a CT scan showing a large cavity in, in one of my lungs. I was not very ill. I didn't have loss of weight or night sweats or a productive cough. And my sputum microscopy specimens were repeatedly negative. But luckily I had a private medical aid and I could go to a pulmonologist who then did a bronchoscopy and a bronchial washing. And there they could find the tuberculosis. So within two days I got the correct diagnosis of multidrug resistant TB. I was resistant to three of the first line drugs. But a lot of patients in South Africa aren't so fortunate. A lot of them don't get diagnosed or the diagnosis are severely delayed. And if they get diagnosed, a lot of them don't get put onto correct treatment. So I started on seven different drugs, one an injectable agent and about 30 pills a day. And it was really tough taking this treatment. They had a lot of toxic side effects, including hypothyroidism and gout, lots of nausea and vomiting. I was unfortunately not able to work while taking this treatment. It was a daily struggle to get the pills down and to fight through all the side effects. A lot of patients, they don't have the luxury to not be able to work. So it's very difficult for patients to work while taking this toxic regime for almost two years. Unfortunately, also two months into treatment, I developed one of the irreversible side effects of one of the drugs, the injectable agent. And this is hearing loss. So unfortunately, every week we did audiograms. My audiograms just deteriorated. This was a great concern for me as a clinician because it would have meant an end to my career as a doctor because I won't be able to use my stethoscope. Luckily, I got a glimmer of hope. I heard of the first new TB drug in more than 40 years called Bedaquiline. Um, they were busy doing clinical trials in South Africa, and unfortunately the trials were closed, so I couldn't enter the trial. But I heard of a compassionate use program that opened in my country. I applied to get use of this drug on compassionate use, and I was absolutely elated when it was approved. So I could stop the injectable agent and substitute it for Bedaquiline. So I was able to keep my hearing. I only have high-frequency hearing loss. And today I can practice as a clinician again. But a lot of patients aren't so fortunate. So I've really become an advocate for compassionate use programs and for better drugs for MDR-TB. Because the drugs that we currently have, they're very toxic and it causes a lot of long-term disability for a lot of patients. And I'm really hopeful because you'll hear from all the speakers here. We've got great new innovations, new diagnostics, new drugs. And I really believe if we can accelerate these new innovations to the patients in dire need, we'll be able to relieve the suffering of a lot of patients out there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dr. Von Delft. Our next speaker is Dr. Sarita Shaw. Good afternoon. I'm Sarita Shaw, the Associate Chief for Science in the International Research and Programs Branch in the Division of TB Elimination. My job today is to share with you why tuberculosis, an ancient infectious disease, remains an important public health threat today. TB is caused by mycobacterium tuberculosis and can cause asymptomatic infection 
also called latent TB infection, or can progress to active TB disease in approximately 10% of cases. TB primarily causes disease in the lungs, but can affect other sites of the body and cause clinically severe disease. TB is spread when persons with active disease expel bacteria from their lungs, for example, by coughing or sneezing. Persons at highest risk for transmission are those who share airspace with infectious patients, particularly when there's poor ventilation or prolonged exposure, such as in crowded hospitals or prisons. The primary tool for diagnosing TB is a century-old method whereby sputum is examined under a microscope to identify TB bacilli. However, this method fails to detect up to half of all TB cases, particularly among persons with HIV infection or in children. Today, we'll hear about revolutionary molecular tests that offer faster, more sensitive methods for detecting TB disease. In the pre-antibiotic era, TB was often fatal. However, following the discovery of the first anti-TB drugs in the 1940s and subsequent drug development, TB today is largely treatable and curable. Worldwide, 8.6 million new TB cases are estimated to occur each year. The majority of patients have drug-susceptible TB, which is highly treatable with currently available drugs. In fact, cure rates of more than 95% can be achieved with combination therapy, which involves use of a standard four-drug antibiotic regimen. However, this is under optimal conditions when the regimen is prescribed correctly and requires an uninterrupted supply of six months of medications. In reality, case detection and cure rates under program conditions are below where they should be. Only 66% of cases were diagnosed and reported, meaning nearly 3 million were missed. Only 87% of patients were successfully cured or completed treatment. Others either failed to respond or did not complete treatment, placing them at risk for drug-resistant TB. Drug resistance in TB can occur naturally in large bacterial populations, such as those often seen in cavities in lungs of patients with TB. The combination of antibiotics used to treat TB aims to target these minority populations of resistant organisms. However, if incorrect or insufficient antibiotics are used, drug-resistant organisms are not killed and will continue to multiply. In particular, this can occur when a non-standard treatment regimen is prescribed or there's incomplete adherence to treatment, which can be due to factors such as drug shortages, drug side effects, or inadequate patient and provider education and support for completing treatment. Once drug-resistant strains are created, they are spread by airborne transmission from person to person. The vast majority of drug-resistant TB cases are caused by transmission. Transmission is exacerbated by delays in accurate diagnosis of drug-resistant TB, which require more complex, costly, and slow laboratory tests. The majority of the 8.6 million TB cases that occurred worldwide are susceptible to the standard TB drugs used for treatment. However, the burden of drug-resistant TB is high and has been increasing. Out of the 8.6 million TB cases worldwide in 2012, approximately 1 million are estimated to have any drug resistance, while 450,000 had multi-drug resistant, or MDR-TB. MDR-TB is TB that is resistant to our best first-line drugs, isoniazid and rifampin. Extensively drug-resistant, or XDR-TB, is an even more resistant form of MDR-TB that has even fewer treatment options and lower cure rates, approaching the pre-antibiotic era outcomes. The global emergence of XDR-TB was first identified and brought to public attention by CDC investigators in 2005 and 2006. This was followed by the alarming report from Tagela Ferry, South Africa, of 53 patients with XDR-TB and HIV co-infection. Among the 53 XDR-TB cases, nearly all died in just over two weeks. This harrowing report spurred global awareness and action to address drug-resistant TB in high HIV prevalence settings. XDR-TB has now been identified in 92 countries globally, 
And based on available data, it is estimated that 9.6% of MDR-TB cases have XDR-TB. The talks in today's session will focus on the global drug-resistant TB epidemic, but drug-resistant TB is a serious threat for the U.S. as well. Last year, CDC released a comprehensive report on antibiotic resistance threats in the U.S., Drug-resistant TB was classified as a serious threat. Among approximately 10,000 TB cases reported in the U.S., nearly 10% had resistance to at least one TB drug. The challenge with estimating the global burden of drug-resistant TB begins with the complexities in making the diagnosis. The cornerstone of TB diagnosis worldwide still remains smear microscopy. However, this method cannot make a diagnosis of drug resistance. Instead, diagnosis requires use of culture and drug susceptibility testing, or the newer molecular tests, which Dr. Shinnick will be discussing next. The conventional culture-based methods require sophisticated laboratory infrastructure and biosafety, which presents a challenge for many high-burden TB settings. There are also patient-level challenges in TB diagnosis, which center largely on limited access to laboratory facilities that can conduct drug susceptibility testing. Lastly, the current policies in resource-limited settings severely limit who should be tested and when a test should be ordered. And while this may be understandable when faced with limited healthcare dollars, this adds to the delays in making an accurate diagnosis of drug-resistant TB, leading to patients' clinical decline and ongoing TB transmission. Taken together, these challenges in diagnosis have resulted in widespread underdiagnosis of drug-resistant TB. Only a small fraction of new or previously treated TB cases were ever tested for drug resistance. What this means is that only 20% of the total estimated MDR-TB cases were detected. This was even lower in some of the highest burden countries, such as India and China. Testing for children is even more limited due to challenges in obtaining adequate specimens. And testing for XDR-TB is also severely limited due to the additional complexity of laboratory tests for these drugs. In 2009, the World Health Assembly called for universal access to TB culture and drug susceptibility testing. Currently, however, there is a major gap in meeting this goal that will require massive laboratory and health system strengthening. Once a diagnosis of MDR-TB is made, the challenge of treatment begins. MDR-TB treatment is less effective, more toxic, takes longer, and is more costly than treating drug-susceptible TB. Despite free treatment, indirect cost to patients can consume up to a year of wages. Treatment must be taken for two years compared to six months for susceptible TB. This graphic provides a vivid image of the sheer number of pills required to treat MDR-TB for 24 months with four to five drugs daily. Further compounding this large pill burden, long duration, and cost of treatment is the very high rate of side effects from the current drugs used to treat MDR-TB. These challenges of MDR-TB treatment result in a massive gap in access to treatment. Less than one in four MDR-TB cases were diagnosed in 2012, and less than 20% were started on treatment. Of those who start treatment, the cure rates are approximately 50%, and the remainder either die, abandon treatment, or fail to respond to treatment. New drugs for drug-resistant TB that are more effective or can shorten treatment and have fewer side effects are urgently needed. Dr. Leanne Hurt will be discussing some of the new drugs we have for TB and TB drug development during his talk. Drug-resistant TB is a serious public health threat worldwide and causes extensive morbidity and mortality. Drug-resistant TB is difficult to diagnose and even harder to treat, even under the best of circumstances. Particularly in areas of the world with the highest burden, there are substantial economic, logistic, and policy barriers to improving diagnosis and treatment. However, the new tools you'll hear about today offer great promise for expanding access, improving care, and saving lives from this age-old, ever-evolving disease. I'd like to introduce our next speaker, Dr. Tom Shinnick. Good afternoon. I'm Thomas Shinnick, the Associate Director of the Division of TB Elimination for Global Laboratory Activities. And today, I'll talk about recent advances in laboratory testing that are improving our ability to diagnose TB. 
For many years, the lack of laboratory services has been a barrier to the control of TB. Only about half of new cases of TB and less than two-thirds of smear-positive cases are even detected. In settings with a high occurrence of TB and HIV, detection rates are even less because smear microscopy is less sensitive for detecting vascular TB. With respect to drug-resistant TB, only about 20% of the 450,000 estimated incident MDR-TB cases are laboratory-confirmed, and many XDR-TB cases are not detected because of the unavailability of drug-susceptible testing in many resource-limited settings. A new molecular diagnostic assay that I will speak about next is part of the solution to overcoming this barrier. The World Health Organization has endorsed two molecular assays for the detection of tuberculosis and drug resistance. Lime probe assays are approved for use with smear positive specimens and are suitable for use in reference laboratories. The Cepheid Expert MTB RIF test is endorsed for use with any pulmonary or extrapulmonary a specimen from adults and from children as well. And this test is suitable for use in district or sub-district facilities. And it's the expert test that I will discuss today. The expert test can improve TB testing because it is as sensitive and specific as one culture on solid media, such as on Lowenstein-Jensen media. The use of expert can increase TB case detection by over 40% uh, over direct smear microscopy alone. The expert test can detect both mycobacterium tuberculosis and rifampin resistance simultaneously within two hours after starting the test, and that's compared to the weeks that's normally required to get a culture result. Sample processing is simple. With minimal hands-on time, it only requires adding sample treatment reagent to the sputum specimen, transferring two mils of the specimen to the cartridge, inserting that cartridge into one of the modules in the machine, and all the remaining steps take place automatically within the instrument. Another important advantage of the assay is that it does not require sophisticated biosafety level three facilities or specialized laboratory expertise. It has the same biosafety concerns as direct AFB smear microscopy, which means it can be placed in laboratories at the district level where it'll be easier for the patient to access these services. With respect to MDRTB, the assay detects rifampicin resistance which we use as a proxy for MDR-TB because more than 85% of rifampin-resistant strains are actually MDR-TB strains in most centers, especially in high-burden settings. Because of the excellent sensitivity and specificity of the test in persons suspected of having MDR-TB, the World Health Organization made a strong recommendation in 2011 that the expert test should be used as the initial diagnostic test in individuals suspected of having MDR-TB. Furthermore, WHO concluded that implementing expert will have a lower cost and be easier to implement than conventional culture and DST to meet the diagnostic targets for MDRTB. Because of these features, many countries have rapidly implemented the test. And from these early implementers, we learned that the clinical and public health impact of the expert test varies according to the epidemiologic setting, the target population, the laboratory testing algorithm, and the treatment algorithm. In resource-limited settings that rely on AFB smear microscopy, the use of the expert test can increase detection of bacteriologically confirmed cases and rifampin-resistant cases, as well as reduce the time to diagnosis of MDR-TB and smear-negative TB. On the other hand, the expert test is likely to have less impact in settings where clinicians initiate treatment in the absence of bacteriologic confirmation, 
such as when clinicians rely on clinical criteria and x-ray findings for diagnosis or where culture is done for all patients. We've also learned that the private sector must be engaged. Otherwise, many TB cases will be missed because many TB cases are diagnosed in the private sector before they're notified to the public sector and treated in the public sector. We also know that diagnostic and treatment capacity need to be matched, especially in settings where the use of expert is dramatically increasing the detection of TB and MDR-TB. To realize the full potential of a new laboratory test, a systems approach is needed to strengthen all steps in the path of work. Delays in any of the steps from specimen collection to transport to the laboratory, to the laboratory testing, to reporting the results back to the clinician, to the clinician acting on the laboratory result, can reduce the impact of a new laboratory test. Delays can occur at any step, and those delays can cause clinicians to have to wait for weeks to get a result of a test that may only take two hours in the laboratory. But if that entire system is improved, then expert can have a dramatic impact on time to detect TB and to initiate appropriate therapy. To take full advantage of the promise of the expert test to increase the number of TB and MDR-TB cases detected, the implementation of expert must be matched with improving the capacity of the laboratory system for conventional culture and DST for other first-line and second-line anti-TB drugs and for molecular methods such as Lyme probasses as well. And finally, the, the entire path of work must be strengthened. Treatment capacity must be scaled up to meet the anticipated increase in the number of TB and MDR-TB cases detected, and healthcare facilities will need to enhance infection control procedures to prevent nosocomial transmission. Management of second-line drug inventories, which are already difficult, will become even more important as MDR-TB cases are detected. In summary, the lack of laboratory services remains a barrier to an effective response to TB and MDR-TB. Recent advances in molecular diagnostics hold promise for overcoming that barrier, and because of that promise, the WHO recommends the use of the expert test for the initial diagnostic test in persons suspected of having MDR-TB. The use of this test should increase the detection of TB and MDR-TB cases and shorten the time to initiation of therapy in many of our high burden countries. To realize the full benefit of the test, treatment and control programs must be scaled up in parallel with the increased use of the expert test. With that, I thank you for your attention. Well, good afternoon. I'm Tom Kenyon, the director of the Center for Global Health. Thank you for the opportunity to summarize and describe what more we can be doing about MDR-TB going forward. Also, special thanks to Dr. Von Dell for sharing her personal story and adding additional urgency to this, to this situation. So how did we get here with respect to drug-susceptible TB? Unlike SARS or influenza, for which epidemic curves are measured in, in weeks or months, TB is a global epidemic that's evolved on a time scale of, of, of centuries. For hundreds of years, TB was a, a major cause of mortality throughout the world. The 19th century included advances in TB diagnostics, while the 20th century included dramatic advances in TB treatment, incremental advances in TB diagnosis, as well as the advent of DNA sequencing, particularly around outbreaks of drug-resistant TB in congregate settings. In fact, there's, there's been considerable progress over the past decade. From 2000 to 2012, worldwide TB incidents decreased by over 15%. 
from 148 to 122 cases per 100,000 population. Prevalence and mortality decreased even more in relative terms. And these all reflect impressive increases in case detection and treatment success rates. So the good news is that we've either met or we are on track to meet three of the five Millennium Development Goals around TB by 2015 in terms of TB incidence, mortality, and treatment. And we will come very close to meeting the fourth one on case detection. So how did we get here with respect to drug-resistant TB? Before the end of the 20th century, the TB bacillus had outsmarted our therapeutic tools in the form of drug-resistant bacilli. As Dr. Shaw explained the magnitude of this problem, the global community then responded with development of the global project on anti-TB drug-resistant surveillance, followed by pilot projects to introduce the management and treatment of drug-resistant TB in middle and low-income countries. In 2009, the World Health Assembly for the first time declared that all TB cases should be appropriately diagnosed and treated. The previous strategy had focused on microscopy for diagnosis, which was and continues to be highly practical and inexpensive for detecting most of the infectious cases of TB, but was much less effective in children and in HIV-infected persons, especially with smear-negative TB, and it was completely unable to distinguish drug-susceptible from drug-resistant TB. Today, with the new tools described by Dr. Shinnick and Dr. Leonard, services for drug-resistant TB are being scaled up worldwide at an unprecedented pace. In a short four-year span, among the estimated 450,000 incident MDR-TB cases worldwide, the proportion detected and treated increased by 5%, mainly in affluent countries, to 20%, including most of the world's countries. The unfortunate news is that we are nowhere near the 2015 goals for case detection, case notification, and treatment success that have been outlined in the global plan to stop TB. We are on the verge, however, of a transformational change in the management of and global approach to drug-resistant TB. First, we are enjoying unprecedented leadership on the part of global policymaking bodies, followed by the requisite political commitment in countries throughout the world. The political support is realistic today because of unprecedented financial support through the Global Fund, PEPFAR, and other sources of investment. Amidst this background, new and improved diagnostics and therapeutics are being taken to scale together to create a remarkable synergy that promises a sea change in the development of services for both drug-resistant and drug-susceptible TB worldwide. Maximizing the benefit of a sensitive diagnostic test, such as EXPERT, requires strength in health systems, particularly ensuring that people with positive test results are placed on treatment promptly. These brilliant advances in diagnostics and therapeutics should not, however, distract us from placing fundamental importance on prevention, both primary prevention and secondary prevention. Primary prevention of drug-resistant TB is most important. Further strengthening basic TB control services is our best hope for preventing the creation of new drug-resistant TB cases. Through prompt identification and effective treatment of drug-resistant cases, their infectiousness decreases rapidly, and we can prevent further transmission. Moreover, with renewed attention to infection control practices, hospitals and other congregate settings will become less hazardous as hotspots for MDR-TB transmission. For secondary prevention, among the new drugs recently approved or currently in the pipeline, we may identify treatment that could be administered to infected contacts of active cases that would prevent them from developing active, infectious, drug-resistant TB disease. But this is an area that needs further research. However, 
in spite of this hopeful outlook, we still face considerable obstacles. While microscopy laboratories are available and accessible in even the most remote corners of the world, the more complex procedures of classic culture and drug susceptibility testing are generally confined to large urban population centers. Similarly, highly effective treatment with quality assured second-line drugs is limited to few centers with specialized expertise. And until the past two years, there have been no clinical trials focusing on MDR-TB. Therefore, the availability of new drugs also creates the opportunity for clinical trials of novel combinations of drugs to treat drug-resistant TB. A recent CDC-led observational cohort study of MDR-TB patients quantified the extent to which XDR-TB can develop during treatment. 7.9% of cases actually had XDR-TB even before they started treatment for MDR-TB. A further 8.9% of patients developed XDR-TB during treatment for MDR-TB. The good news is that the same study showed that such acquired resistance can probably be prevented by diligent attention to proper diagnosis, treatment, and case management as evidenced by WHO's Greenlight Committee's evaluation and approval. In the GLC group, only 3.7% acquired XDR-TB treatment versus 15.6% in a comparison group of programs that were not GLC approved. However, acquired resistance is only a small part of the story. There's alarming evidence that now suggests the vast majority of incident MDR-TB and XDR-TB cases developed through primary transmission of drug-resistant isolates. WHO estimates 74% of MDR-TB cases globally arise from direct transmission. A study in China suggested 78% of MDR-TB cases arose from primary transmission of MDR-TB. Furthermore, a meta-analysis concluded that 90% of XDR-TB cases had no prior history of treatment for MDR-TB. In other words, they were infected with XDR-TB strains in the first place. This clearly underscores the importance of infection control in congregate settings such as hospitals and prisons. In the largest reported cluster of XDR-TB among 28 patients with matching TB genotypes, 79% have been exposed to one or more infectious XDR-TB patients on the hospital wards with a median overlap of 18 patient days in the hospital. So what can we do? CDC is now partnering with USAID to provide technical assistance to a dozen or more countries that have global fund grants to scale up their MDR-TB services. The new model of TA will consist of long-term strengthening of local human resource capacity instead of the traditional fly-in, fly-out types of evaluation missions that are relatively ineffective. The recent global health security agenda will also provide a new opportunity to elevate the response to MDR and XDR-TB, which are included in this agenda. The prevent, detect, and respond model for global health security lends itself well to XDR and MDR-TB, as we've discussed here today. And Uganda included this among the pathogens they selected, and so we should have some lessons learned very soon from including MDR and XDR-TB into a global health security approach. In conclusion, looking forward to the future beyond the 2015 benchmark for the MDGs, the global strategy for TB control will rest on three pillars. First, integrated patient-centered TB care and prevention. Secondly, bold policies and supportive systems. And third, intensive research and innovation. And CDC will remain committed to these pillars going forward. Thank you for your attention.
You've been listening to Public Health Grand Rounds from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, presented on ReachMD's series, Grand Rounds Nation. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of the nation's best Grand Rounds. This is Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and thank you for joining us.